So let me state something just ridiculously obvious. The internet has a lot of stuff on it. And because it has a lot of stuff on it, you can find literally anything that pops into your brain. You cannot add anything to the internet that is already there. You've heard the phrase, nothing new under the sun. That 100% applies to the internet. Some of it is good. A lot of it's bad. Most of it, though, is probably neutral, depending on how you use it. Um, but because everything's already out there, this week I asked this question, or Googled this question. What would you do if you knew you wouldn't get caught? And lots of people have already asked this question, so I found a couple places where people had replied. There were hundreds of answers that I got to kind of fiddle through and read through um, on Reddit and a few other places. Uh, there was a lot of them that were really funny. Um, one person said that they would go on a slap fest. They said, I don't really want to hurt anybody, but some people just need a smack to the face. And I was like, yeah, that's a good one. That was, a, that was probably my favorite answer of all the ones I saw. Um, there was a lot of practical stuff out there. Like uh, several people said, no more stopping at red lights at 2 a.m. Like no more. Like why am I sitting here at a red light when there's no car on the road for miles and miles? I'm not doing it anymore. One guy said, I'm going to fish without a license. He's like, I just want to go out back behind my house and fish without doing paperwork. I was like, okay, that's pretty practical too. Doesn't sound like a bad one. Um, anybody got an idea what the most popular answer was? Robbery. Yeah, everyone's gonna get. Everyone's gonna rob a bank. Like, yeah, that was the most popular answer. Bank robbery um, or some other rich person. Now, I will say this: that between all the funny ones and the practical ones and the bank robbery, there were several though that were absolutely terrifying. Just scary, nightmare-inducing, terrifying. Um, so much so, I'm not even going to talk about them up here. Don't Google it. You don't, want, you don't need that in your life. You don't need that negativity added to it. Um, maybe if you're watching online, maybe you can scare in the, uh, or share in the comments a time you got busted thinking you wouldn't get caught. You can do something innocent like trying to, when you were a kid, trying to steal cookies out of the cookie jar or something like that. Um, but, um, but what's funny is, the reason people are willing to say this stuff online is because it's mostly anonymous, okay? What all, is also funny is that as soon as I put this question up on the screen, a lot of you had an answer pop into your heads. Yeah, and, you're, and it's, we're at church, people, and you were thinking, who knows what? And I don't want to know, okay? Because what happens with this question, and the reason, the reason you, don't wanna know, you don't want me to know what you thought of, and the reason I don't want you to know what I thought of, is because this is one of those questions that reveals what's in your heart. And again, we're not going to get up here and put a microphone up and let everybody blast the things that they thought of, um, just the same as most of the people used a dumb username when they left the comments trying to explain uh, their answer. Okay, But this question does unashamedly expose what's in your heart. Now, last week we started this teaching series called From within. And we talked about how some of the biggest obstacles in your life aren't the circumstances surrounding you, the things you're going to encounter at work, or the people in your life that are frustrating. The biggest problems you have are the things, the evil, selfish, sinful desires that live inside your heart. And so the, the reason why you do things you shouldn't do, or say things that were better left unsaid, or you spend money in ways that are dumb, it's, it's not because of the people in your life that stressed you out, or the job that stressed you out, or the circumstance that stressed you out. No, it's because the stress of those situations just made it easier for what's in your heart to find its way out. Uh, let me give you an example 
Um, if I come up here and I shake this mug, me shaking it has no bearing on what comes out of the mug, right? What's going to come out of the mug is what was already in the mug. The same is true of your life. The, the stressful situations, they give you a shake. The rude people, the mean people, the selfish people, the soul-sucking people in your life, they give you a shake, but they don't determine how you react, the, the words you say. That stuff just comes from within. In the same way, shaking the mug has no bearing on what comes out of it, but what's already in it is what determines it, which is nothing because I don't want to clean up a mess. Um, but... <laughs> But that's how, that's how we are, right? That's, we're the same way. Like there's this evil that lurks inside of us, and we like to blame every situation under the sun that I said that because they did this or you did, and he said and she said, and life's been hard. But really all those things are are just the stresses that make it easier for what's inside of you to find a way outside of you. And so what determines who you are is what's in your heart. What determines how you respond is what's in your heart. And so this series we're going to be looking at those things that lurk within and come from within. And so each week after of this series, coming starting today and onward, we're going to just look at one emotion that has the tendency uh, to grab a hold of your behavior and lead you to do things that are hurtful and sometimes even destructive. And today we're going to be talking about guilt. And guilt is a strange thing because it is both a fact and a feeling. All right? So if you do something wrong, sinful, illegal, whatever, it is a fact that you are guilty, right? Like, you did it. If there's, someone can video you doing it, right? You, you, you did it. Like, it's a fact that you did it. But you can also then feel the weight of that guilt. It feels like a weight on your heart, a weight on your soul, where you feel bad for what you've done. It's, it nags at you, and it follows you, and it haunts you wherever you go. It is our consciences, and even if you're a Christian, we would say the Holy Spirit uh, that reacts when you've done something wrong to kind of light up something inside of you to help you understand that there is something wrong that you have done. Um, for me, uh, I have a peacemaking personality. Like if I take a personality test, uh, one of the most recent ones that called me an adaptive peacemaker means I want everybody to be okay all the time. I don't like people mad at me. I don't like people upset with me. I don't want to upset people. So guilt is like the worst. I hate guilt. Some people, maybe your personality is where you're like, eh, they deserved it. No big deal. And you kind of brush it off, but it just eats at me. I can't stand guilt. Now, I think it's just one of the worst feelings. And the reason why guilt is the serious thing that it is. And maybe you've never thought of it this way before or not. But what guilt does, when you wrong another person, it creates a debt-debtor relationship. When you, are, when you hurt somebody, wrong somebody, do something from somebody, you are very, in a very real way put into their debt because you have taken something from them. You have stolen something from them. For example, when a man follows the lust in his heart and leaves his family for another woman, he might be thinking, freedom, look at what I've got. I've got this great thing going on in my life. But what he might not realize is, as, as he's enjoying all the good things that he thinks he's uncovered is that he has stolen things from each member of his family. He stole his wife's marriage. He often stole her financial security. That often goes with the divorce. Um, he stole the stable home, the family traditions, uh, the emotional security of his children. 
Um, he stole quality time in many ways from his children. Um, maybe he thinks he won, he's won a happier life and he feels like a winner until one of his kids said, Dad, can I do something to make you say? Is it my fault why you, you left? And when that guilt hits, he understands that he is at debt and the emotions sink in. Um, if you've ever bullied someone, You've taken, in many ways, their ability to live in the truth that they are a loved, valuable person created in the image of God. You've stolen that. And so unable to rest in the truth, they now spend uh, time questioning their worth, feeling alone. You've made it easier for them to doubt who they are and how they've been made, and they want to change themselves rather than, again, resting in the truth that they are loved. If you've ever taken part in gossip or maybe just straight up spread lies about somebody, it's very possible that you stole somebody's good reputation from them. Uh, people who commit abuse to kids, they don't just cause pain. They, in many ways, steal that kid's childhood. Sin is a theft. Guilt is an acknowledgement of a debt-debtor relationship. That's why when we're guilty, what do we say? I owe you an apology. We understand intrinsically that we owe somebody something. I, I, I need to make it up to you. Is there any way I can make it up to you? Is there any way I can offset this debt that I've created? And um, we acknowledge in our heart, you know, it's like our guilt. Guilt is our heart's way of kind of just screaming that we have to make up, that we have a debt to pay, even if the only currency we have to offer is that I'm sorry. And the thing about it with this thing of guilt and the debt that is created is that it's either got to be paid or canceled. It's the only way that debt can be handled, especially this kind. The problem is most sin causes an impossible debt because though you can try to do good things to make up for what you've done, can you undo and untake the things that you've taken? Oftentimes not. You can't uncheat on your spouse you can't unbetray someone's trust. You can't untell a lie. You can't uh, unspeak that cruel comment that broke someone's heart. You can't give a child back to your now a childhood back to your now adult kids. You can't do that. Um, and and so what we in instinctively try to do though is we try to work off. We try to well I can't undo it, but I'll just do enough good things to maybe that'll tip the scale in their favor. But that doesn't work. We try to uh, work it off, serve it off, give it off. If we're a church person, we maybe try to pray it off. But no amount of good deeds, community service, charitable giving, or Sundays in the pew can pay back something that cannot be paid back, something that has been stolen and cannot be returned. And so if we are ever going to move past guilt, we are going to need some help because we can't pay it back. Now, the Apostle Paul who wrote a ton of the New Testament. Um, he was a church planner and pastor who traveled all over the first century Roman Empire and shared the gospel. He probably did more for sharing the gospel and spreading the word of Jesus than anybody except for Jesus. Uh, he spent his whole life traveling and just telling people, praying for people, doing what he could to help people understand the goodness and their need for Jesus. Um, but he was a guy who deeply understood our need for help with guilt. Um, because before he was this guy who traveled and did good things and helped people understand Jesus, um, he was a guy who went around and arrested Christians and tortured Christians, or at least arrested them so that they could be tortured and oftentimes even uh, executed for being Christians. Um, and he did it, I think, in some ways with good intentions, but good intentions don't always matter, do they? I mean, you've done dumb stuff, hurt people with good intentions before. That is oftentimes 
irrelevant. Um, that's, you know, I remember being a kid and doing something wrong, and my mom and dad called me on it, and I would always say, I didn't mean to. Okay, doesn't unbreak the thing, right? Doesn't unthrow that ball. Uh, doesn't unput the bait. One time I hit a baseball, like first pitch. My brother's trying to teach me how to hit a baseball. First pitch, right through the garage window. And then he said, well, have fun telling mom and dad. And he just disappeared, right? So um, <laughs> felt guilt. He felt nothing. Um, he's a smart guy, my brother. Uh, so, but anyway, um, the intention doesn't often matter. But Paul, he, what he would do, they, from his perspective, these Christians were diluting the true path to God. They thought it was clouding people's uh, understanding that Judaism was the right path. And he, he didn't understand that it was actually Christianity was the fulfillment of all the, the Judaic teachings from the Old Testament scriptures. And so he went around with eagerness and passion, rounding up Christians, making sure they were thrown in jail. Um, and at times, uh, standing by while a crowd got very, very riled up and took um, justice into their own hands and murdered Christians right in front of him. And he sat there just kind of smiling that he thought this was the right thing to do. And then um, after famously hunting down Christians, he meets Jesus and immediately sees things for how they are and realizes, oh, I've been rounding up Christians. I need to be telling people about Jesus. And as soon as he starts doing that, the other Christians are like, uh, no, thank you. I don't want anything to do with you. Not because they were angry at him, but because they thought he was some sort of Jesus double agent. Like they thought, he's only coming here to find out who all the Christians are so that he can then, you know, flip the script and round us all up into jail. And so they were leery of him because he was such a, a feared person. And so when he became a Christian, Paul considered himself the worst of sinners, the most guilty of men. Because, again, how do you unkill a person? How do you give a family their parents back when you're the one that threw them in jail? You're the one that outed them. You're the one that made sure they got tortured and executed or whatever. And so he knew he had done things that could never be undone. And so when he's talking about this idea of guilt, he wrote one of the most famous, beautiful passages in one of his most famous letters, a letter to the church in the capital city of the Roman Empire, Rome. We call it Romans because it's the letter to the Romans. Um, and in the eighth chapter of this letter, here's what Paul writes for all us guilty people. He says, there is, therefore... Now, no condemnation. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. Um, because condemned is what you are when you're in a debt-debtor relationship that you can never pay back. You're stuck in debt. You are condemned to that weight of being somebody who has, who has done something wrong with something you can't repay. Again, which is, again, all of us. Because you can't untell a lie. You can't unbully someone. You can't unbetray. You can't unabuse. You can't unlust. Like, that's all of us. We're all these people who are condemned. And so if we're honest with ourselves and who we are and what we've done and think about our past and the things we've done to people and the things we've taken from people and that we can't pay those back, we all have to kind of admit, oh, no, we are people who deserve to be condemned. And we don't like that. Most people never even get to that point of accepting it because what we do then is we make the excuses and we blame those outside circumstances well, I wouldn't have said it if she hadn't have said it. I wouldn't have done this if they hadn't have started it. You know, well, life was just hard. And we, and we weave this long story, this very strong narrative of why certain things, behaviors and, and whatnot, aren't our fault. Because if they're not our fault, then there's no debt. And if there's no debt, then we're not condemned. And so um, 
Paul is not a, a believer of that way of thinking. No, he goes on to just say that you're condemned. He just owns it. You're, you, you're a debtor and you're condemned. But then he starts this little passage of talking about guilt and condemnation by saying that there is no condemnation. And it's like, how, how, Paul? How is it possible for us to find freedom from this debt that we can't repay? And he says, there is, no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Jesus. So what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? How do you become in Christ Jesus? Well, it means acknowledging to yourself and to God, I am a sinner, I am guilty, and I deserve to be condemned. And that you have gotten yourself into this mess through your selfish, sinful decisions, through the evil that lives in your heart. It just means being honest about it, not hiding from it, not making up some story, but owning it. And then you give your life to Jesus. And what that means is that you decide that you are going to live the rest of your life under his authority, his lordship. Meaning you are going to live your life assuming that he is the boss of your life, the one who determines how you live. Because when you were the boss, all you ended up with was sin and condemnation. And so we need somebody else that's going to lead us down a different direction. And so we surrender our life to Jesus and we join our life to Jesus through baptism. And when you are in Jesus, you are uncondemned because Jesus has done what no one else and nothing else could ever do. He goes on in verse 2. He says, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So he's saying that we have switched from being under one type of law to being under a new type of law. Now the law of sin and death is why we are stuck in condemnation. The old way says, you've messed up, you're done, you've sinned, you deserve a punishment, end of story. But through Jesus, we get switched from that law to the law of the spirit of life. And Christians who have placed themselves under the lordship of Jesus and joined their life to Jesus through baptism receive the spirit to live inside of us, to give us power to do something different than what we've always done, to live the same life, the same decisions that lead to guilt and condemnation. The Spirit frees us from our slavery and starts to actually clean out the deepest parts of our hearts. So, in Christ, we get to switch from one set of law that was condemnation and death to a new set of law. Okay, well, how does Jesus do that? Verse 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So, the only thing the law could ever do was tell us that we did wrong. That's all law does. Any law, right? It just says, here's the, here's the bare minimum of behavior. Just do this. Just, just all you got to do is do the bare minimum of this behavior, and everything's going to be fine. Okay, but once you sink below that bar, boom, you're done. Sin do, or, or law doesn't restore you. It doesn't forgive you. It can just condemn you. That's all the law is there for. And so when he says Jesus did what the law could not do, something different, something more fantastic. God came into our world in a human body as the man Jesus. Now, notice it didn't say he came 
in sinful flesh. It says he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like the rest of us, but he didn't live like the rest of us. He lived the kind of life that we needed to live, the kind of life of uprightness and holiness and love and kindness and grace every step of every day. And so after living this perfect life, Jesus surrendered himself to stand in our place, to be condemned on our behalf, to take the death that you and I deserved. And so even though he was innocent, not at all guilty, he stood before God and all creation in our place as if he was guilty. And he took the condemnation and the punishment for it by dying on the cross. And so here's Paul, Paul is telling us that if we surrender our lives to Jesus and receive what he has done for all of us on the cross, there is no longer any condemnation for you. So, if you're a Christian, if you have given your life to Jesus, you are not condemned. But, what was the first step? Do you remember that first step? We have to actually, again, stop telling the stories, stop making excuses, stand before God and everybody, and admit that we are guilty. we got to come to Jesus and say, yeah, I did it. Stop coming up with this, telling a sob story about why our problems are everybody else's fault, and realize, no, the only common denominator with all my mess is that I was there for all of it. I'm the one who made all these messes. It's surely not everybody and everything is out to get me. No, I'm the one that was in the middle of everything. And we say to Jesus, I told those lies. I used my body in ways that God forbids. I hurt that person. I hurt those people. I stole my son's childhood. I took every one of those drinks. I chose to take every one of those drinks. I am guilty. And so we agree with God. We're not convincing him that we're guilty. He knows that we're, we've done the wrong things. And so we agree with God and the law that we are guilty. But once we are in Christ, because Jesus has taken our sin away, he cancels that debt. Remember, that's the only way this debt of guilt can be repaid. It can, either, or it can be dealt with. It can either be repaid or it can be canceled. We can't repay it. We talked about that. So Jesus takes it so that it could be canceled and we could be forgiven. And so when we stand before God and everyone admit we're guilty, that's, we don't have to hide from it anymore. We say we're guilty, and God looks back and says, yeah, but you're not condemned. You did wrong, but that's not what defines you. You've made messes, but that's not who you are anymore. You have a new life, a new identity in Christ. It means that you don't have to define yourself by your past. See, guilt, is, of all the emotions that we're going to talk about in this series, guilt is the one that has the biggest tendency to follow you from one stage of life to the next, and you just hang on to it. And that, that thing you did that one time, and you define yourself by the worst thing you did and the worst day you ever had, the worst choices you've ever made, and you think, I am that person. But no longer do we have to define ourselves by our past because God does not define us by our past or our biggest mistakes. Jesus came to free us from the guilt and the condemnation that goes with it. And he did that, Paul kind of, wraps up this little thought in verse 4. He says, in order that the righteous requirement of the law, that bar that we've got to you know, clear to be considered good and right and perfect, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh anymore, but according to that spirit that lives within us. This means that Jesus restores you to a guilt-free status. Are you guilt-free? No. Remember, it's a fact. You did it. I did it. I've done all those things. I'm, in fact, every, all week I've been sitting here wrestling 
with feeling bad and re, like digging up feelings of guilt because I'm rethinking of all the things I've taken from people over the years by being selfish and horrible and mean and dumb. And, and so, yes, the fact is there that I've done those things, but, but Jesus has stepped in and dealt with that. And so I stand before God guilt-free. He doesn't see my past. He sees the righteousness of Jesus. Um, and so it's almost as if we've never sinned in the first place. So for the Christian, guilt is not a weight that you should carry with you everywhere you go. It's not something that should hang over you like a dark cloud for years and years and years. And it's definitely not something that we need to hide from or ignore. No, we can say, yes, those things happen, but by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Jesus turns that rough story, that rough moment, that worst season into a great story. And so because of Jesus, we can own our past not fear it, not hide from it, not feel condemned by it. No matter what you've done, it is covered by the grace of Jesus. And um, I know how guilt works and how it hangs over some people, and I can almost guess that some of you just walk around assuming God's mad at you for something you did. Some of you, you, you rethink every word, every conversation. Uh, I know some of you, you're the kind of person that you'll say something that nobody else gave any thought to, and you'll call them back three times later and apologize, or three days later and apologize for that thing you said. And they're like, what thing did you say? And you're like, oh, I've been feeling so bad about it. It's just been eating me up inside. And they're like, I don't even remember this conversation. But that's how guilt works on some people. And so some of you, you walk through life just assuming God's mad at you. Everybody else is mad at you. And, and that, yeah, man, if, if only you could please God. You hope, you hope maybe today you did okay so that God loves you today. But if you didn't do right, God probably doesn't love you. That kind of thinking is nonsense because Paul says in verse 1, there is, therefore, now, what's that say? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the answer is no. God is not mad at you for failing to be perfect. He knew you weren't going to be perfect. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died in your place before you were ever even born to do all the sinning you've been doing. And before I was ever born, he knew it was going to happen. And he came anyway. He doesn't look at you and see a dirty, condemned sinner. He sees a person that he loves so much he sent his son to rescue you. And so what the law was powerless to do, God did for you. What, what you were powerless to do, Jesus did for you. The moral strength that you've lacked, the Spirit now gives to you. And so if you're a person who's ever had a hard time forgiving yourself, this is the good news of the gospel, trying to reshape and preach to your heart the truth and trying to get through the message of the lies of condemnation that you have been telling yourself, that that voice in your head has been telling you for years and years and years. And so now, if you can understand it and receive it and believe that you have no condemnation in your life through Christ Jesus, God is inviting you now to live in Christ Jesus and experience the joy of actually being freed, of being forgiven, of having that debt dealt with and canceled by the mercy of God, so that you can no longer walk around carrying the weight of guilt. Let's pray. Father, we are so in awe of the freedom you give us in Christ, that though we are guilty, that though we've done wrong, the, the, the saving work of Jesus on the cross deals with our 
mess, cleans us up. You don't ask us to get our act together. You don't tell us to clean ourselves up so that we can be worthy of you. No, by your loving kindness, you came to deal with our mess and then start cleaning us up. And so I just pray that we don't feel like people who've got to clear some bar to to earn your love. No, that's how the law works. The law is a bar that we have to clear through our behavior. No, your love for us is unending, and nothing gets in the way of it. And even though while we were a mess doing things that you hate, living as people that do not honor you and actively work against your will in the world, you still loved us. And you came into this world to not only live a life and deal with all the pain of humanity, but you came and and went to the cross so that we could have freedom and grace, even though we don't deserve it. And so I pray that we would be okay to, to understand and admit the fact that, yes, we are guilty. But when we receive Jesus as our Lord, our Savior, as we join our lives to him in baptism, I pray, Father, that we would feel the freedom from the feeling of guilt. And we would understand that you have given us a new status as righteous and perfect and clean so that we will stop telling ourselves that we're condemned every single day. We'd stop letting that voice in our head try to shape our identity, but rather we would change our identity or or receive the identity that you are giving us as a person who is not condemned, who is free, who is loved, who is cherished by the God of the universe. And I just pray that that would be the truth that we receive from your word and that its power would be worked through the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we would live again by truth, not by the lies that guilt is inescapable that condemnation is inescapable. No, by the grace and mercy of Jesus, we are not condemned, and we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.